Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, Chris. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Chris. Yes, sir. Scuba Steve. What is up? <laughs> Just here recording the podcast again. So, um, Dealer's Choice with Daniel Burgess. We said, pick whatever topic you want to talk about as an expert. And we actually stepped into one that I didn't think would be like, if I was picking out of top 10, would not be top 10 for me. But this was good. This was like way good. Like way good. <laughs> so, how to do conflict right? How to actually do communication and connection. What does every person go to marriage counseling for? We don't connect. We can't communicate. And what I, what I loved about what was shared was, um, true, simple, applicable. Yep. His, his do's and don'ts are awesome. And you guys have got to listen to the episode to be able to know what the do's and don'ts are. Totally. Um, so invite you to step in. Um, again, we've got scholarships. So if you need help or want to go to therapy with someone like Daniel Burgess, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships or slash donate. If you'd like to donate to help us fund those scholarships, give us five stars on iTunes. That's what we have going on. Visit the website, follow us on social at unashamed and afraid. This one's worth listening to. Let's do it. Daniel, our first to do uh, a double-double on, on episode duty. What an honor. This what, is great. What an honor. So this is, uh, right, this is part of uh, my repair, right, in our of our previous conversation. So if you don't know who Daniel is, uh, marriage and family therapist, doing it for 10 years, California, Utah. And um, if you don't know who he is and the relationship that he and I now have, um, I invite you to listen to the previous episode um, to get to know him. And uh, but beautiful heart, gifted clinician. Um, and so as we have experts come on, and we kind of talked a little bit in the episodes, and we came back to this right of, of re-recording just an episode with you yeah. as an expert. Yeah. I was like, pick a topic, you know, Daniel, whatever you want. And I and you kind of we kind of talked about it in the previous episode, but I loved right because this is something all of us I think struggle with generally in life in relationship, but particularly around recovery and relapses and where we stand in the marriage or separation, all the things is like, how do we do conflict? How do we do healthy conflict? How do we resolve conflict? And the ultimate, why everyone goes to marriage counseling. We just can't communicate. We never hear each other. I feel like I'm talking to a wall. We have the same argument over and over again. So my first question for you is, why is that the way it is? Like, why are we all so bad at this? Myself included. Yeah. Well, it, it, I, it's history. History repeats itself. And we that's all we have to go on. And so my belief is, one, we don't have great examples of what healthy relationships look like. This is not a criticism on our parents or our families of origin. Who taught them? What is a healthy interaction look like, especially behind closed doors. We don't talk about that. And, and I'm assuming you're about my age and, and I think even it still happens today, but we're taught not to talk about those private things. For sure. And so 
where do we learn it? And the stumbling block I saw, so I, I started to develop the approach I take uh, in in having better communication that's more enriching and, and healing, um, actually in divorce court. Early on, I started working with a lot of hostile uh, divorces. And I was like, nothing's working here. If anybody's ever dealt with very difficult divorces, very aggressive divorces, uh, and sometimes getting pulled into the court system and stuff, man, there's there's almost nothing you can do. Yeah. I mean, you have to take kind of a very firm approach. But I started to see a pattern of things. And part of it is we stop progressing because we don't know what healthy really looks like and how to maintain that. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why my wife and I have no, uh, I mean, there's always a limit, but we will actually have the very difficult discussions in front of our kids so that they could see what it looks like in the messy. And we follow this pattern that that I'll uh, start to talk about here today. But uh, yeah, that's, I think what we're up against is we don't succeed because we don't have great role models. Uh, and the history pulls us back. We, we start science and we see, see, you're doing it again. And and that negativity doesn't allow the other person to recover and be able to say, oh, oh it, it causes what we call a backfire effect. They put their heels in the, the sand and they they resist it and, and they say, no, that's why I did this. They provide excuses and defensive proving tactics and um, they don't necessarily always want to lie, but they're trying to take a defensive position. So. Chris, I know you have never experienced that. Never. Uh, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just like with, I hear this with a lot of the men that I that I talk to in recovery, and they're like, I had a slip, and it's you know it's been six months, or and then she did that same thing where she's like, you always do this, you mm -hmm. you know, or they're I hear a lot of spouses saying they're waiting for the the boot to drop or whatever, whatever that saying is like the other shoe to drop, the other shoe, shoe to drop, drop. you know, mm -hmm. and, and or so. a boot depending on where you live in the country or world. <laughs> True. And so how do they handle that? What is the best way to handle something like that? Yeah, you, you're, so we're going to, of course, and this is an appropriate topic. So we're bringing in um, mental health issues in, in addiction behavior. And this is why I tend to help couples measure progress over time as opposed to instances, uh, we tend to see things as uh, ground zero when when we slip back. And uh, if that approach is working for you, great. However, in communication in couples, this often feeds that sign-seeking behavior. Um, and I don't use that in a pejorative. That's what we do. It's like, oh, I'm seeing you do this behavior again. That means you're going back to old patterns. And that's scary. It's rightfully scary, but when we could change that dynamic and start saying, okay, over the last year, month, two years, whatever it may be, how are you doing? Because we get to have bad days. Now, in this context, right, I'm not justifying an affair is a bad day, right? Right. right. That's that's not at all what I'm saying. I want to make sure that people, the listeners understand that. But, but I, I've got a buddy of mine that he, he's got... He says that he has 11 years of sobriety right. with two instances of slips with masturbation during that time. That's huge for him, even though he's had two slips, but that's just huge. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why I think it's important to look over that period of sobriety. He's been sober and this, and I'm not minimizing that, but I think that's important when you come to the conversation and look at it from an opportunity perspective, because when you bring that negativity or that confrontation, does it help? <laughs> when when somebody says, see, you are masturbating again. And 
well, okay, I am, but what are we going to do? How, how do we move past that? And how do we succeed so it doesn't happen again? Uh, and so that's what we want to focus on is how do we talk about the productive things? And so that's why in these, so I'm, I'm kind of giving a, uh, getting away from the actual approach, but for the context here is you have to look things in perspective. And when you come to that conversation, to be able to hold that perspective, again, I, it, there's definitely lines that shouldn't be crossed or anything, or, or this should never be used as an excuse. And, and I'll talk a little bit more about that is the tools I introduce here are never an excuse to do bad behavior, nor are they used to be weaponized against the other person. So the first thing you have to do is, is you look at the person and you assume the best. My goodness, you've done so good for 11 years. This just happened. Are you okay? What's the stress level in your life like? Um, I think that changes the whole dynamic. Do you feel of the tone? That. Oh, totally. And I've I've even had buddies of mine where they've even disclosed their total acting out with everything. And one of my buddies is like, you know what? His my wife came to me and said, you know what? I think we can make this work. We can figure this out. Yeah. And gave him a hug. Change it. Changed everything for him. For him. And the amount of or how quick he got into recovery and sobriety was way faster than when, than anybody else that I ever see. Well, and I think about from the trauma perspective on his end, right? Every time someone's like, I don't want to be honest. Why? It's fear of abandonment, rejection, often felt through anger. Mm-hmm. Why don't you want to tell your wife that you looked at porn again? Because she's going to freak out. She's going to get mad. And she's going to kick me out of the house or she's going to divorce me or right. It's the threat of connection. That is what is, what is why I'm not going to enter the conflict conversation. So I'm going to do avoidance, which is just still doing conflict. And then, and then, yeah, this is, this is where it gets difficult because you're dealing with two people who get to have bad days and messy experiences. And so this is where maybe some listeners are thinking, well, hold on a second. I get to hurt. I get to be angry. He screwed up. She screwed up. I don't want to stereotype. They messed up. And so why do I have to be the good person here? Uh And and that's that. You're right. You're right. You get to be angry. And I'll talk about how we deal with that in the moment. uh, So it's it's productive. Uh, But if we want to succeed, we also have to start seeing these slips or whatever mistakes or bad days as opportunities to succeed. And what can we learn from here? You were having a bad day. And when I come into the conversation that way, it opens it up. And I I hear so often that, well, he better tell me what happened. And why didn't you tell me? Well, you kicked him out of the house. Um, He can't sleep in the same room. And he's already on a downward spiral. Again, it's not your responsibility to make him feel better, but as a couple, if but you pushing the succeed, snowball further down the hill, it's not going to help. It's not going to help. And, and it's going to make your experience worse too. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things I see, especially with men, especially with men is the, oh, I just lost the word. Who, who, what are those monks that whip themselves? The, I, I, I can't, there's a specific crazies. Uh, people will look it up. <laughs> this right. is what we do because we have to demonstrate to the world that we are sorry for what we have done instead of being able to say, okay, I masturbated. All right. That won't happen again. And this is what I'm going to do. And 
we're going to recover from this. We beat ourselves up, which then communicates directly, indirectly to our spouse. Oh, something's really bad happening. Really, He's not telling me something. His behavior is communicating something a whole lot worse. And I, I want to be... I want to be sensitive here. It, I don't want to equate behaviors with certain levels of, of badness. Um, but I think most of us can say masturbation, and I, I'm, I want to be careful. I'm not saying it's okay, but it's not adultery. It's right. not adultery. But we well, behave like it is. Well, and I think that's part of the, when the shame enters the script, right? When I'm in trauma response, I move to judgment. Right. And the reality is, Judgment is something that keeps us safe. So anytime I run a group, this will come up in the guidelines. I want there not to be judgment in here. And I'm like, well, you have to have judgment to keep yourself safe, right? I make a judgment when I'm like, that light's red. I probably shouldn't keep driving. Like, so we have to have judgment. But when when we're in that response, right, we go to what you're saying, where it's the all or nothing thinking, Correct. the drama, where we blow. And so we blow past anything to, I got to like, super judge what's happening here. And and I think to your point you made earlier, right? We lose perspective when we do that. Correct. Because, right, because that's what I was thinking is that, right, spouse, they're not responding to, he looked at porn one time this week. They're responding to the last 10 years of porn use and they're packing all the response of all of that trauma into that single conversation. <laughs> and this yeah. is where, and we'll come back to the structure of the conversation here, but I think it's important to convey the emotional experience that's happening here because I'm sure we've all been there, is once we've slipped, we say to ourselves, we have to confess, we have to confide, we have to do all that anyway. Might as well take advantage of the situation while yeah. we're here. While I'm down here. While I'm yep. down here. What I try to instruct is if you're viewing pornography and you, you know, sometimes people get there and they're like, Oh my goodness, I'm actually here. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, it's too late. No, use that as your opportunity. You just became aware that you're pursuing something that you shouldn't. That's improvement. You can still succeed. And when you come to the conversation, I, I can't tell you how often this is just changes the dynamic of the conversation where I'll ask the wife and I'll say, if your husband came to you and he says, okay, hey, I found out that I, I, I was on the computer and I was on Instagram and it led me one thing and I realized, oh my goodness, I'm 10 minutes into this. I don't want to be here. I did view pornography. I don't want to be here. And I'm going to let my wife know that I was successful because I stopped it. I would love for him to say that. Yeah, I don't want him to look at pornography. Because a lot of them are like, we just don't want them to lie to us. Yes. Yes. We want to be honest. Yes. But, but and not and when we are honest, we bring that heaviness that I think confuses the conversation. Well, that's the whip in myself, right? Yes. That's the, that's because then in, in my experience, that's where I'm bringing to the conversation, the shame and the guilt I feel of 10 years of porn use into this single instant. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's loaded. Cause I, I, I always like the saying, um, and I can't remember who the quote is by, so this is not original. If I it's didn't awesome, make it, it up. was me. Okay. Okay. Chris is doing this quote from someone I can't remember. If it's hysterical, it's historical. I love that. I got to look that up. Yeah. If it's, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Mm -hmm. And so I think to your point, it's like, I have a right to be mad. Right. And I'm putting words in your mouth now, but it's like, you can't bring all of the hurt and mad of the last 10 years 
into this conversation if you want it to be successful. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to back, and that's true in any emotional space. I can't do 10 years of spiritual healing or 10 years of college in in one day, in one moment. Mm -hmm. I can't fit all of that in a moment, which is why trauma work is so hard for people. Because it's like, I'm carrying around all this baggage and I keep in trying processing it in a single moment. And I keep trying to shove all of it through a straw, right? A gallon of water through a straw. It's not going fast enough. And so I'm mad it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a bad cycle because I it just so many men I talk to, it's like, I have to demonstrate, you know, we go to therapy and they're going to accuse me that I'm not taking it seriously. And so there's this cycle that that is just fed. And if we could break away from, and that's going back to your original question is, why aren't we successful with that? And it's, we've got societal scripts, we've got, therapeutic scripts, we've got, you know, our interactions with our spouse that just constantly feed this. But if we could break away from it, and if we have structure around this, um, and that's where I introduce these do's and don'ts to conversations is when you need to talk about something heavy, it doesn't even need to be confessing. In fact, it could be just, you didn't get sleep for a few nights and you know, you're not emotionally there. Follow this pattern. Um, Go into the conversation not proving, defending, convincing, or retaliating. Those are the don'ts. Those are the don'ts. Same again so slow for those of us who want to write them down. And, and I always focus on the don'ts first because it's actually easier to step away from the don'ts than to actually do the do's for a lot of people. So here they are. Don't prove, defend, convince, or retaliate. People are like, oh, that sounds redundant. Yeah, I am trying to make a message here. Don't step into these areas. So when you're going and you're 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 you know, we want to confess to our spouse or confide rather. I, I don't think right. we should be confessing to our right. wife. But, but, but any, uh, any conflict, any right? conflict, heated say, conversation, argument, whatever. Right. You're going to follow this pattern is, is don't go into the conversation starting to think and it. It's not just out of your mouth. It's in your brain. Okay. Okay. I got to I got to share with her this, but I got, you know, I, I want to be able to say why I did it. And, and this is, this is how I did it. You would go into, we bring the That whole, sounds like every addict. Dude, that sounds like every person. Every person but we're true. trained yeah. to yeah. do that. True, you don't yeah. think about it this way. I, yeah. People like, I need to prove every, every conflict. Yeah. My spouse is lying to me. I I I hate that. Not because it may be true or untrue, but think of it this way: a lot of people who are addicts have had a lifelong series of disappointing people. Me, in my full-blown ADHD dyslexia as a kid, I had a teacher tell me to stop reading a Hardy Boy book because I couldn't. I literally had that in third grade. I had series of disappointments throughout my life. My poor writing, my, my poor grammar, people pointed that out. And all I wanted was to be accepted for yeah. what I could bring to no, the table. No, it just shamed you, yeah. And... So when, when we say, think of it this way, you see your kid doing something wrong, maybe they took a cookie or whatever, and you confront that child and you say, what did you do? Well, they may kind of dance around the story or say, I didn't do anything. Why are you lying to me? I like to think of it in terms, yes, they lied. They also want, they don't want to disappoint you. And we've been trained, I, or I'm writing a book called, I Didn't Marry a, a Therapist, because we expect at some point we, we should have these amazing therapist skills in our marriage, which just never even happens. Yet we demand our spouses to be able to have this level of communication that even therapists don't have. We talked about that uh, before. And so how do we do this? We come in, we avoid the proving, defending, convincing, and retaliate. Retaliating can take in uh, so many different forms. It could be 
mimicking their behavior. Fine. You, you, you're going to treat me this way. I'm going to treat you that way. Or it could be uh, stonewalling. It could be anything that yeah. breaks connection. If well, she acts I, this way, then I'm yeah. going to just react this Correct. way. Well, yeah. and I love the Terry real quote. Uh, like what's coming to my mind of avoiding the don'ts is Terry real. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be married? Right. Cause if you want to be right, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, you ain't going to be correct. married. Not right. right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, well, that's his question, right? His question is, so, okay. So you're entering this conflict with your spouse. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be married? Right. That mind should have shift of like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I mean, it is mind. Yeah. So I'm not, um, I'm not trying to, uh, because again, if I enter it right with those four don'ts, it's about being right. Yeah, and and in, and by default, I'm going to lose. And and I want <laughs> right. to remove it's that whole go well. dynamic from the conversation because that's what causes us to not connect. Is mm-hmm. going into a conversation right or wrong? It has nothing to do with that. So, what I suggest doing is the do's, and this is what they are. Just four is be clear, concise, confident, and caring. And relationships, go ahead and throw in loving there. I just wanted another C word uh, for the alliteration. <laughs> but being clear, concise, confident. And I want to clarify in here, confident doesn't mean I am a good person. It means- well, It's not arrogance. It's not yeah. arrogance. And it doesn't mean you're even feeling confident. It just means present. Look at this is what happened. You're doing it with clarity. You're doing it without excuse. It's, it's kind of redundant like the don'ts. Be clear, concise, confident, and caring. Watch how the conversation changes. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. We over-talk everything. And it keeps from actually connecting. The other one, so assume the best, the four do's and don'ts. And then avoid, avoid what I, I want to find a different phrase for it the divorce equation. And that is this. If you loved me, fill in the blank. Mm, mm-hmm. If you cared, fill in the blank. It's a logical fallacy. Right. right. It's placing a manipulative con- a condition on something. Uh, it's assuming mind reading. It's assuming it, it takes the responsibility of us not having to say, actually, I need you to do this. And Let's take a, a maybe a silly example. I want you to come. If you love me, you'll come to my family for Thanksgiving. Well, I don't get along with your family. I don't want to go. The most loving thing you could do is actually communicate that. I'm struggling and I know my limits. And because I love you so much, see, hear the clear, concise. You don't have to prove anything. I love you. And I know if I'm there for more than two hours, and maybe that's the arrangement, is maybe I could be there for two hours. Or maybe not this year. And then next year, I can try that. Because I want to come home and I want to feel close to you. And I know my limitations. Recognizing our weaknesses to give us an opportunity to thrive in the relationship has nothing to do with right or wrong. And when we place those conditions on each other, then we set each other up for failure. We go right into the proving and defending. Oh, I do love her. I do love her. I'm going to go ahead and go to the family uh, Thanksgiving and suffer with everyone harassing me. Or right. Which then I look at the, the codependency to enter relationships, right? So, okay, I want to be, right? I mean, hashtag go read Mr. Nice Guy, everyone. 
Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes to going to Thanksgiving, act of self-betrayal, collusion, codependency, exactly. whatever you want to say. So, because I want to be close to my spouse. So I'm going to self-sacrifice, self-betray to be close to my spouse. And then you want to know how I show up at Thanksgiving? Like a total jerk. Exactly. And you know what happens when we leave Thanksgiving? You're We're in the resentful. car driving home. P.S. I literally have done this over a Thanksgiving thing. So this is a little too real for me. Um, but so it wasn't get, a silly example. Right, it was not a silly <laughs> example. Right? No, but you know, then you get in the car. I remember leaving Thanksgiving, it, it, leaving a, it was in, it was with my family and how I showed up was terrible. And we get in the car and Kayla's like, come on. Uh, like she's just enraged. Like she's just like, are you kidding me? Like that was embarrassing. You were rude to me. You were rude. And I, and I was far enough in my recovery that, that once we were in the car, I was like, oh yeah, I just showed up very poorly mm-hmm. and not who I am. And so I think that's the thing that people miss because it's like, well, if I'm honest, we're going to be in conflict. And it's like, well, if you're dishonest, for sure you're going to be in mm-hmm. conflict. And it's probably going to be bigger. Stop setting each other up for failure. And that's where I think it's critical. We measure success, how close we felt, how we respected our limitations, our weaknesses, and our strengths. Uh, And so people will say now, well, what if I'm angry in the moment? What if we're both having a bad day and we can't really embrace the clear, concise, confident? I'm going to give you a personal example because I love how you structure your show. Uh, and and so I will get personal. My, my wife is, I share this in presentations. And so she's totally fine with me sharing this now. I'm not diving into something too personal here. When I started, when I when we got married, we're a blended family. So she uprooted her, her kids, three girls, my two boys. We're almost a Brady family, Brady Bunch family. And so close. And yeah, so close. <laughs> I should have tried harder. Um, <laughs> of course. I decided the best thing to do at that time was to go back to school and let my you know wife raise the kids while I'm at work full time, school full time and doing clinics. Let me be clear for those who are listening. Yeah, you jerk. Why did you do that? Uh, we prayed about it. We felt it was the right thing to do. It was a very partnership experience. But about a year into the two year program, I was coming home. We were literally getting up. No hyperbole here at 430 in the morning and going to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, every day during the week. Uh, why 4.30? The only time that we got to date each other was at the gym, and we would have a 5 a.m. gym, uh, mm-hmm. and that was the best thing for us. It's actually got us through so much. But I remember a week that I was coming home, and my wife was clearly distant. And I will always, I own up to this, and I was ex- I knew she would be crying, and she was having a difficult day. I would go right to bed thinking, we had got, we got to get up in a few hours. It'll be fine. And I wouldn't address it. It's horrible, horrible. About a week into this particular experience, it couldn't be ignored. She was crying. And I, I, I want usually I ask people, what are you thinking? I'm not going to put you guys on the spot here. But in my mind, I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to navigate this conversation? I'm exhausted. Who did I just make the conversation about? Me, me, not about her. I didn't create a safe place for her at all because I was concerned about what was going to happen or discussed or shared. And so she started to share. I, I put my arm under her and I pulled her in. She started crying on my shoulder. And I, no matter how many times I tell this story, it hits home. And 
She starts saying things for about 30 minutes. The boys miss you. This is difficult. This is hard. I don't know if I could do this. The thoughts I was having, this is difficult for me too. Do you think it makes me happy to see my boys sad that you're struggling? We made this decision together. Who was I making the conversation about? Me. And I realized that. And I am always, I never sugarcoat anything. In fact, that's why I do my podcast the way it is. I think we have too many perfect examples out there, which aren't always perfect. It's messy. It's hard. And even if you have the best way to interact, it's still going to be hard. And that's what it was for me. I had to be clear, concise, and confident, but I was falling into the proving, defending before anything was even said. And she started saying all this stuff and I wanted to defend. That's not exactly what I did. And no, that's not what the boys, no, what, who was I making the conversation about? Me, me, me. So I bit my lip. I literally bit my lip. And there was about a point at about 30 minutes in the conversation or or she talking to me, she said, I'm sorry, I'm complaining. Perfect opportunity. It was the window of opportunity. I said, clear, concise, confident, caring, and loving. I haven't heard a complaint. I've heard an amazing woman trying to do her best and it's hard. Tell me more. I wanted, I had to fight back every desire to defend myself and to say, you didn't represent that situation correctly. This is hard. This is suck. I even want to say, fine, a year into a two-year program, I want to say, I'm done. It's not worth it, right? I just catastrophized everything. And that's what we do. We lose connection. But what was valuable there wasn't about who was right or wrong. It was creating a connection and communicating safety. You get to tell me whatever you want to tell me without fear. And we're going to sit with that. She spoke for another 15, 20 minutes And it's late, it's near midnight, and she says, thank you, I love you. Aside from saying, tell me more, I didn't say anything else. She needed to connect with me, and I almost robbed her of that experience. So in this experience, whether it's masturbation, a difficult conversation, what we're craving, we hear it all the time, is connection. But we go right into these conversations disconnecting. And if we could get past that, amazing things will happen. About a week later, this similar thing happened again. And this is why I think this part is important because I had to recognize my limits. At that time, the second time, it was getting tough. I was was burnt out. By the way, in, in addition to ADHD and dyslexia, I have sleep apnea. So I am all over the place messed up. And I was fried. And I knew I would not be able to do that again this particular even the second time around. And so she started, as I pulled her in and she started to talk to me, I I paused and I said, sweetheart, I said the clear, concise, confident and caring thing. I said, I love you. And what you're telling me is very important to me. And I want to give you my undivided attention. I cannot right now. Can we do this tomorrow? At five o'clock, I will skip my class and I will be home. That's Mm -hmm. what's important to me. I'll sleep on this and then I want to be present with you. So what's critical here is this is the third or fourth concept here. I always kind of change them around. It depends on on the relationship. Is follow up. 
schedule. This is a solid concept that could be applied into so many different avenues mm-hmm. and relationships, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're a leader in your church or a relationship or husband and wife. Um, it could be used so many things because if I sat there and said, I can't do this right now and let's go to bed. I want to rest on this. What's going to happen? When are we going to talk? Yeah. You're just avoiding me. Right. You've just escalated in a, in being honest. Right. Or, or even worse, I've done compliance, which is a form of denial. Like, Correct. how do I get you to stop talking right now and then pretend we're never going to do this? <laughs> right? Like, how do I end this now? So this right. is why the some f- kind. follow-up actually should in most cases, especially if this concept is new, include not only a schedule, a time, but a duration. Mm-hmm. The duration is key for the mm-hmm. reason that you just brought up. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to end a conversation. And there's a, I don't want to get wrapped around semantics, but for the concept here, I, I actually say it's more important for safety than understanding. When we go into these conversations, we're craving to be understood. What you provided to me in our previous episode mm-hmm. was safety. I mm-hmm. did not expect you to understand. Mm-hmm. And it was not my, you know, I, and if you didn't, and if you said, I understand, I, I mean, I'm not going to hold you to that. Right. But it was how you demonstrated love and respect was safety. Right. The reality is, is I don't know what other people are experiencing. No one can. And we get into a dangerous position when we start to say, I understand what you're saying. Why do we do that to either end the conversation or because we do think we understand. But then what happens is the next day we do something that clearly communicates we didn't understand and it upsets our partner. It's like, didn't you just hear me? I spoke to you for four hours until 3 a.m. And you said you understood, but clearly you don't. Let's remove all that from the table. Well, and I think that, and I, yeah, I, I think that's an awesome concept too, because I think when we understand, we also assume that we would make the same decision or come to the same conclusion. Exactly. So for example, right, my dad is a diehard BYU fan, blue goggles. So I'll always bet him at the beginning of a season, right? I'll be like, how many games is BYU going to win? Because I know he's going to be over optimistic and this is looking like a free lunch for me because he's going to say nine games. So I'm going to go, go great. I can take eight because eight or less, right? Because I know probably the probably the experts in Vegas are saying seven, but because you're drinking the Kool-Aid, you're going to say nine, right? Um, and so <laughs> he and I have the same information, the same exactly. understanding. Right. Yet what he will choose to do with that and how he will react to it and do it differently Great example. is totally different how I'm going to react to do it. And I know, right, for me, like my marriage, I've had frustration around that because I'm like, you have the same information as me, so why wouldn't you make the same choice that mm-hmm. I'm making? Mm-hmm. So as, as you're explaining that, I'm like, even if you do understand, it ain't worth much. Like, even if you nail it, it even if you're like, I perfectly understand you, and even if you do, it, what, what does it get you? Exactly, and that's the unspoken expectation with understanding is somehow because you understand you're either going to do something differently or you're going to be able to get me, you know, if you understood me, it goes back to that. uh, The other concept is if you love me, if you understood me, then you would, you would have done this. We place these science seeking conditional um, and quite frankly, it's manipulation in a lot of ways. We don't know how to get the love we want. So we place conditions on it. Right. And so the duration is critical here, and it, it really varies depending on the relationship. Um, 
and you don't need one if, if, if you feel like you're doing this pretty well. But even my wife and I will sometimes, okay, let's just talk about this for a moment. We may not put a specific time frame on it, but we know once it goes past a certain period, we're either looking for ways to, okay, how do we end this? But we've gotten to a point where we could just say, okay, I need to go to sleep. And we don't take offense to that because we've been practicing this. But sometimes I refer or recommend only 30 minutes. What could you cover in 30 minutes? That's the whole point. Yeah, you have to get clear. You have to get clear yeah, and concise. <laughs> it, it, it really forces you. It, and it's not about finishing the conversation in 30 minutes. It's about knowing your limits, especially if it's something very difficult. I don't recommend going over 60 minutes for people who aren't used to this and are dealing with very difficult topics. Yeah. It gives you both an out. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's let's, let's pick this up again next week or tomorrow. So you do another. Now, follow-up. if. If you are the one that says, you know what, I want to give you this space tomorrow at five o'clock to talk about this, you have to be the one that brings that up. Because I know before, in when I was just wrapped up in all my addiction, she would try to have these conversations with me, and I'm like, I just, I just can't do this right now. Right. And I would try to deflect it and get away from it, and then I would never bring it back right. up. Okay, I'm like, I can't do no, it. I'm never. not talking about this yeah. again. Because you never, you don't know don't, when it's going to end, and what, right. what value are you going to get from it? Right. And so that's what I love about that is because you're like, hey, uh, let's talk about this tomorrow at five. Let's talk about it for an hour because that's the time that we we have or whatever you put that that time limit on it, and then I got to make sure that I bring that up and be. And that's one thing that I've really been har- trying to work on. Autumn, I can't, I don't have time to work on this right now at work, but I want to give you the time. And I just did this in a text. She sent me like this huge long text. Yes. And I'm like, I want to give you time on this. I'm at work right now, so I don't have time to to answer this, but I want to go through this with you. And then I bring it up to her and be like, okay, let's talk about this. I love it. And it changes everything. So, so here I'm, because I know we're going to keep moving on before we move on. I want to insert this. So in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about the EFT model, right? Which is get oh, out, yeah, of, get yeah. out of context and get to the actual emotions and connect, right? Which I think, right, you're doing the same thing a different way. Um, and so, but then my question is, because because I thought this a little bit for a second, and I'm like, people are going to think this when we say, don't worry about understanding, assume the best, right? Going to some of these things. Like, how do we make sure that we stay in a place of empathy? Because empathy is really important. So me understanding you contextually or whatever, again, we've established does not have that much value. But to use the Brene Brown video that I hope everyone's seen, to crawl in the hole with someone, right? So I'm thinking of the example Mm -hmm. he gave of the conversation with you and your wife. She did need empathy from you to go, wow, you're feeling overwhelmed. I can sit with you in overwhelmed. Because me going... I'm unwilling to do that, right? Or doing the sympathy thing, like, wow, being overwhelmed must be hard. I've never been overwhelmed, but it sucks to be you, right? Or whatever, shaming, right? And so how how do you make sure we keep empathy or get to empathy? Your, your, your question is articulated perfectly because this is, again, why we fail is we aren't taught what empathy really is. Mm-hmm. We make an assumption that we have to be, when Brene Brown says that, it, it, she isn't saying Forget who you are. A hundred percent. Don't forget uh, forget who what your weaknesses are or, or your capacity is. Uh, that's that's not empathy. That's well, well that's I, a I, meshing. I that's a meshing. a meshing. That's codependency. I didn't want to say that's, that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a, I, I think you're right. Well, this is so one of, one of my big mentors, Magic Mark. Shout out, listen to the Magic Well. Right, Mark will say, "No one's an empath." 
When you say I'm an empath, I'm an empath. I, Chris, I, I get just, in so much I trouble just, for saying. I that. just feel. I just feel what yeah. you're saying. What Mark would say, and I agree with him, is like, no, you don't have boundaries. Like you don't have emotional boundaries. Like when you're sitting in line, and and the reason I say this is this is so true of me. I get lost. I'm in the freaking grocery store, and the person three people ahead of me in the checkout line is having a hard day, and now I'm like, my day's hard. I'm in their thing, right? Or the emotional flooding people experience like there. And so I think like you say, like we have a lot of things that we should just do a whole episode on terms that we believe are hijacked, that people think they mean one thing, really they mean something. That's a whole episode we should do. But you're right. Like people see empathy as all of these things that yes. I agree with. It's not like me being flooded by your emotions, not empathy. Me saying logically, I get it or I understand is not empathy. And so there's all the don'ts. Get us yes. to the do's, so Daniel, of is, empathy. This is what empathy can look like. It, so I'm going to come back to the scheduling because sometimes, and I'm, I want to address the empathy, yeah. it's all wrapped up. This is all empathy. This is real empathy, is being able to know your limits and to be able to communicate in a loving way. And so what if you are having, let's say we said five o'clock tomorrow. One of the things I struggled with early on in, in that very regular, rigorous and overwhelming schedule that we had is I'd spend a full day at work and then with clients, I'm emotionally drained. And the first thing that my wife wanted to do, and boy, this tore me up, was I would walk in the door and she would embrace me and start kissing me all over the face. And so I am overwhelmed. I love her. And for that first year, I didn't say anything. I just embraced her, but it was physically painful for me. And I started to think, oh my goodness, if I love her, I would, I would be feeling like she is. And one of the most scary things for me to be able to say was, I can't do that when I come home. I need a few minutes. I'll go into my room, recover. I'll say, give me 15 minutes. So the scheduling and the duration I give her and I would follow up sometimes at the end of 15 minutes, mm -mm, I was not ready. But it was my responsibility, like you were saying, I would text her or I'd step outside and say, sweetheart, I put my hand on her, or my hand on her shoulder or her, her back and say, I need a few more minutes. I want to be here for you. And then when I was ready, I would come out and we would kiss and we would hold each other. That's empathy. Mm -hmm. And her empathy towards me would be. So ADHD all the way. And she's just organized, amazing, just brilliant with how she lives her life. And so we're very opposite in that way. She came up to me one day and she puts her hands on my face in a different topic and, and situation. She looked at me and she said, I don't understand, but I love you. I realized at that point, and that's why I started to really dig into this concept is I felt something. I immediately stopped having this feeling like I had to convince her of what I was experiencing. In that moment, I knew I didn't have to. And if she had additional questions, I trusted her as an adult to ask me. That's empathy. That is mutual love and respect. Mm -hmm. Not pursuing or avoiding or getting overwhelmed or putting yourself in a situation that's so overwhelming that you can't do it. I, you know, clearly there are things in life that you don't have that choice, but that's less frequent than I think we, we realize. Right. And Chris has a contextual example of this for us. Yeah. What do you With got? autumn. 
right? Remember the conversation. Remember that one conversation with Autumn, Chris? Tell us that one. Which one? No, but um, <laughs> when she was like, do you have more to tell? Like when you finally disclosed everything, how oh, she, yeah, how that, she that, approached that you in that I conversation. That was really safe enough to be able to tell her, tell her everything. Which is you were describing empathy in that way. That was the thing that I, came to absolutely, my mind. Absolutely, because that was, the, that was the case where she was like, I know something's going on. Mm-hmm. She's like, if you don't, you're, if you know that there's something going on, but you're not ready to tell me, then just tell me that. And I'm like, well, well I'm, I, you know, I've been drinking still. And she's like, no, there's more. And I'm like, okay, babe. I didn't say babe. I was probably <laughs> not, not at that time. I was like, yeah, there, there's more. And I'll tell you about it. I'm not ready to tell you right now, right on. but I'll talk to you about it but, on Tuesday. But that, the, that was the miracle of that mm-hmm. was that she didn't say, do you better say all that stuff exactly. right now? You better kick it out right now. Right. Right. You, but I think she's able to create some safety for her having heard the other car, side of the conversation with Autumn. Right. right. But the empathy there of just being willing to hold, because I think that's to your point. Well, I think we've been learned is get out of there, fix it. Don't go there. Do not be with it. And so as you've been talking to me, like, I guess an add to how I understand empathy, I'm like, it's actually to do nothing but to be exactly. with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm thinking of, right. Your conversation brought up with your wife. I'm like, she, and you're like, I didn't even say anything. She just talked for essentially 50 minutes. I inserted mm-hmm. a sentence in there and we kept going for the next 20 was to just be with or the Brene Brown video. It's like, just crawl in the hole. Don't say anything that don't mm-hmm. fix it. Don't get them out of the hole. Don't do any of the things. Just be with. And that to your point, right? Or they're like, that's not something we're taught, right? Like this person is crying. You hand them a tissue and subconsciously tell them to stop <laughs> and shut up. Right. Where really it's just to sit with, Right. And, and to, and to be with, and I've heard, you know, Kurt Frankham talk about that with leaders, right? Leaders are always like, well, how do I fix it? How do I help them? Whatever. What's some of the best leadership you do? Literally just sit with them. Just sit with them. I am so sad. Sweet. Tell me about sad and let them just talk about it for a half hour. And they'll walk out of there and be like, he understand he's, he's there for me. That was such a great leader experience. (laughs) And the truth is it was, Mm -hmm. that's accurate to just be with. It's, it's a great point there. And this is not a tool that you say, you're not using this. You're not being clear or concise. <laughs> right. right. That you can't weaponize mm-hmm. it, right? No. Like it, most things. It, absolutely not. Yes. In fact, that's, this is where this was developed was, as I mentioned before, divorce, was court, divorce yeah. court. And because how do you respond to these aggressive texts or these accusations? Don't prove. Don't defend. Be clear, concise. Only address the things that you have to address, keep it to the point. And then I evolved that to a more empathetic model. How does that work in relationships? And so people will often ask, what if what that, what my partner said to me was actually really hurtful? Am I not supposed to say anything? It is going back to your earlier example was, uh, you know, finding out uh, you masturbated. Don't I get to be angry about that? You do. And you don't bury that. What you do is you be clear, concise, confident, caring about it. I hear you. I need to pause. This is really difficult for me to take in right now. I appreciate you sharing. I think it's important you did. I need to step away. My wife did this over and over and over again with me. We would check in every single night and there were times that I would, I would tell her about the slips that I had numerous times. I would come to her and talk about these slips 
And when she knew, I mean, she wasn't perfect at it, but she, she had every right to be angry. But then there were numerous times that she was like, you know what? I'm really pissed right now. Mm -hmm. And I need a minute. She would leave. She would go out into the car. She'd sit in the car and just start screaming. And she'd come back in an hour later. And then we're ready to have an awesome conversation. And she did that over and over again. And that created safety for me to be able to actually like talk to her. Mm -hmm. And then we started this amazing communication that we had never experienced through our entire marriage. Well, and I want to own, as you're sharing that, one of my largest flaws is like not allowing for the space or not giving the space. That's how my codependency shows up. It's like, well, I can't talk right now. And it's like, we have to talk right now. Like the following around, right? (laughs) Which I know I'm not the only person who does that. I know that's a thing, right? Like when you look at attachment styles, right? Like anxious attachment, like that's me for sure. And so that's, I think like the back end of this, right? Is like to honor the time or the space, which is still one of my really big flaws Cause I'm, I'm like a, no, let's just have the four hours worth of conversation in this very moment right now. Yeah. It's like, well, well I'm not prepared. I'm not angry. Right. So I, I feel like there's a lot of times that Kayla's asked me for that space and I write codependently or boundaryless or however we want to put it controlling or, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, no space. We will have this conversation. Um, and, and the, and the flip side of that coin too, what you brought up too is I can't, always avoid. Right. And so it's like, I can't get to any of these extremes, which I, I, which kind of brings full circle. Cause you know, as you start at the beginning of this episode, it's like, none of these are, it's not a black and white Mm-mm. principle. We're like, these are principles Mm-mm. that have to be held in the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so to make something clear, that's not a black and white. It was clear, not clear. Right. Moment to moment. I, I have to say, right. Correct. Like, am I, am I really being clear or am I saying something that is clear so I cannot say my real feelings and be avoidant or whatever, right? Like you can miss either way with any of these concepts. So it's about kind of finding, right, and landing in the truth, which I think I'm going to put words in your mouth. You tell me if I'm, I've understood you in this episode, right? Is that if I'm getting to real connection, I'm probably doing it right. Correct. If I'm in disconnection, I've probably missed one way or the that's other. Your, that's your indicator. And, and I think what, what is difficult about that is, is understanding what connection really is about. And I, I think sometimes we, we get so stuck on I statements or love languages that we actually miss what connection is. Um, and so going forward in these conversations, it's critical that we praise partner and create a mutually desired outcome. I phrase it that way very specifically because I'm not saying a specific outcome find opportunities to measure success instead of focusing on that negative thing you could definitely say that hurts or that's overwhelming but then you you praise thank you i can't imagine how scary that was to say cuz i'm feeling fearful so that's where you can use like i statements but taking personal responsibility for your emotions and you say and praise this must be scary and you could explore that and then you partner partnership can look so many different ways. It's not a specific thing. It doesn't mean you have to agree or do or say or believe the same thing. I, I work with this in, in mixed faith marriages all the time. Yeah. Is their partnership is going to look very different from what they traditionally thought. And then you create a mutually desired outcome. A mutually desired outcome is something that stretches you. That may not be yours or his ideal, but how do we evolve into a mature, 
connected relationship that will be examples to our children on how to have relationships. That is the key. Well, and and where I have self-confidence, not self-betrayal, right? That I feel like I'm my whole self. And so a ton of, a ton, a ton of gems here. Daniel, if people are looking for you, where do they find you? DanielABurgess.com. I can't get it simple. Don't do Daniel Burgess. That's some Canadian photographer. It's Daniel A, my middle name, Alan. Just well, a, unless in you're in Vancouver looking for oh, photographer, sure, 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 then sure. that would be a fine website. <laughs> but you won't find me. <laughs> you won't find me, right. And so then Daniel and tell us about the podcast so people can uh, find you there too. Improving intimacy. intimacy. Uh, we, we deal primarily with sexual health, but very much like your your podcast, we we deal with the raw, the uh, gritty and the real messiness of, of relationships and how to recover from it. Okay, tell us the title again. Improving Intimacy. Improving Intimacy. Tell us the website again. DanielABurgess.com. DanielABurgess.com. Thank you for being with us. Such an excellent episode. Um, Thank you. I hope people got as many gems as I've gotten out of this. Definitely I think, one. I think every marriage or every person going into a marriage or is going to be married someday should listen to this episode. Yes. <laughs> And if you're enjoying this episode and want to help us with the things that we're trying to do, you can donate at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Uh, we are a nonprofit 501c3, and those donations go to fund scholarships to help people go to marriage counseling. So literally, we have a scholarship right now that if you want to go to marriage counseling with Daniel, we will pay for six sessions. Apply at unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. If you have a wonderful story or an expert or have questions, submit those. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, at Unashamed and Afraid. Give us five stars on iTunes. And until next time, continue to be unashamed. <laughs>